Welcome to Psychology in a Box, where we simplify psychology and make it accessible. On today's podcast, we explore one key feature of personal leadership, vital if you're a coach, consultant or facilitator. In short, how do you consistently raise your game so you show up as the best version of yourself, regardless of whether you're having a good day or a bad day? It can be hard being a self-employed consultant, coach or facilitator. You're not only striving to add value to your clients, but also establish yourself as a go-to coach. When the work is coming in, fantastic. When the work isn't, it's easy to think you're alone and perhaps you're not doing things right. In this podcast, I'll walk you through one big life skill. How can you learn to be your own best friend. I'm Saquant, a business psychologist, and for the last 20 years, I've been running my own leadership development consultancy. I've been through at least three recessions over my 30 years working in this industry, and I'd like to share with you some practical ways you can future-proof your mindset. After all, you are the biggest asset your business has. So let's get into this wonderful topic of how to be your own best friend. So let's start by exploring what this means. You live with yourself 24 hours, 7 days of the week, 365 days of the year. And the key question is, do you like the person you are? Do you build yourself up in your inner talk or do you talk yourself down? We all have an inner script, a self-talk that happens, and in most cases, outside of our conscious awareness. You're watching a TV programme and your mind drifts. You're gardening, cycling, out running, or in the shower, and your conscious mind is preoccupied with doing, but your subconscious mind is somewhere else. In those moments, What is the nature of that inner conversation or musing? Are you gentle with yourself? Are you exploring possibilities? Are you focusing on your successes and the things that have gone well? Is your mind working on a challenge that excites you and gives life meaning? Or are you feeding yourself with bleak what-if scenarios? What if the client does not like that piece of work? What if I don't win that project? Why did that family member say those insensitive things to me? So, if you were being your own best friend, how would your inner script and subconscious talk be different than someone who is being over hard on themselves? For starters, being your own best friend starts with recognising your thought patterns. When you're having a bad day and a good day, what script, thought patterns, beliefs and stories get played out? Self-awareness is the starting point of any personal transformation. And this reminds me of the story of the young daughter who asks her mom, Mom, how come I see two types of mom? A happy, cheerful, playful mom and 
at other times an angry, frustrated, grouchy mum. How come? And the mum replies, it's as though I have two wolves on my shoulders. An optimistic, positive wolf and an angry, bitter wolf. And the daughter asks, which one wins? And the mum replies, the one I feed. This gets to the heart of learning to be your own best friend. To be aware from moment to moment, which wolf are you feeding? So at a practical level, here's the challenge I would like to set you. Can you go for one hour without thinking a negative thought, either about yourself or anyone else? So look at your watch and set yourself the challenge. One whole hour of being mindful and observing your thought patterns. The challenge is simply to be aware of your inner thoughts and the beliefs you hold about yourself. Every time you find yourself going down a rabbit hole, just catch yourself. Pause. Stay neutral. And this is important. Your role is not to feed yourself with positive affirmations. It is simply to silence the negative wolf. As you get through one hour, see if you can now extend this to two hours and then from two hours to half a day. And over a matter of weeks, you're learning to create the conditions where you're becoming your own best friend. Now, the question is, why does this matter? Why does silencing your negative voice, your doubts and your anxieties matter? Because the silences create space, a space for new thought patterns to grow, new possibilities to flourish and a new narrative and script about yourself. It's too easy to become weighed down, imprisoned and blocked by our inner doubts. Even smart people can often be held back by their own self-limiting beliefs. So let's explore. Allow me to share a live story from 10 years ago. I got a call from a HR director of one of the big insurance businesses and he explained that they had headhunted a senior player and this individual had been enrolled for six months, but things were not working out. So could I act as a mediator? They owed it to this individual and to the business to make the relationship work. So I hopped on the train, got down to London and met with John. After we exchanged pleasantries, I asked John, John, what's your understanding of why we're meeting up? And his opening words took me aback. He said, I'm waiting to get found out. How do you mean? I said. He said, I left school at 16 without any formal qualifications, grew up on a council estate and went to the local comp school. But everyone here seems to have been privately educated on gone to a top university. They're more articulate than me, smarter than me and more self-assured than me. I feel like a fish out of water. At this point, I asked John his backstory. What's the journey you've, you've been on to get to this stage? 
Well, he said, as I explained, I did not enjoy my school life and left at the first opportunity with minimal qualifications. I applied to a local family-run printing company and they took me on as an apprentice. He said, the owner saw something in me I couldn't see in myself and he took me under his wings. I felt valued and needed and threw myself into this business all in. Every month I was learning new skills, being rotated onto different functions and found myself able to learn, adapt and make a difference. So much so that every few years I was getting promoted. After eight years of loving what I was doing and being fully committed, I found myself promoted to the management team. And a few years later, the owner wanted to take retirement and asked myself and the management team whether we wanted to do a management buyout. We went to the banks, borrowed the money, became shareholders and directors in this new business. And for the next six years, we could do no wrong. Everything we touched seemed to turn to gold. We expanded the business, bought a smaller business in a neighbouring city and more than tripled our turnover in the space of five years. We were doing so well that we had a couple of offers from larger players to acquire our business and customer base. After several years of saying no, we felt the time was right and accepted a good offer for the business. I became financially wealthy, was now in my mid-thirties and would never have to work again. My wife and I didn't have any children, so we travelled the world. And after six months, he said, I knew I had to come back and find another role where I could make a difference and give something back. We, we returned back to the UK and I spread the word amongst some headhunters that I'm here and here I am now with this insurance company. So let me get this straight. Here I am talking to a senior player who by all accounts has had an exceptional career, has enough money in the bank, never have to work again, telling me I'm waiting to get found out as an imposter. And when I share this story on our leadership programmes, I ask participants, so what's holding John back? Some individuals say, well, he's lost his mojo, he's lost his motivation. But I don't think he has. And for others, they say, oh, there's a culture mismatch. He's from an operational background and a small business, and this seems to be more of an actuarial international background. And whilst this may be true, I'm still not sure this is the real reason holding John back. If we go back to the wolf story, John is feeding the wrong wolf. He is focusing on everything he is not, as opposed to everything that he is. So he is not well educated. He's not been to university. He's not been privately educated. And he does not have a posh accent. But he is not paying any attention to everything that he is. A quick learner. Someone who is driven. Hardworking. Committed. And dedicated. Interestingly, I asked the HR director 
why they'd hired John. And he said, we wanted a street fighter. Someone who would come in, make change happen, be a breath of fresh air and be countercultural in how we got things done. We're too slow to change and we're all too risk averse. But clearly he had not shared this important piece of information with John himself. So let's take a step back. When it comes to learning to be your own best friend, clearly John was not in this space. He'd fallen into a classic trap called the comparison trap. He was comparing his own self-worth by measuring himself against his peers, who were all graduates from leading universities. And this highlighted to John that somehow they were better than him. So during meetings, he was not letting his light shine. He was too self-conscious and too focused on his own limitations to speak his mind. The comparison trap is dangerous. Chances are there will always be someone who is smarter than you, gets paid more than you, has a nicer car or a home than you. They're taller than you, more handsome, etc, etc, etc. When you fall into the comparison trap, you risk coming off second best. You focus on your shortcomings, not your strengths. So this brings me on to another dimension of learning to be your own best friend, which is being confident and comfortable in your own skin. You feel you have nothing to prove to anyone else other than striving to be better today than yesterday. Self-acceptance is an important part of learning to be your own best friend. It is learning to accept your imperfections your shortcomings and recognise that you do not have to be defined by them. You are not the same person you were five years ago, let alone ten years ago. We grow, we mature, we mellow, we have the capacity to reinvent ourselves. Our personalities and our behaviours are not fixed. When we get things wrong, the life skill is not to beat yourself up, and validate your negative wolf that perhaps you won't amount to anything. The life skill is to accept your part in getting things wrong and to bag the learning. So here is another feature of learning to be your own best friend. To ask yourself healthy questions when things go wrong over unhealthy questions. Unhealthy questions are why does this always happen to me? How come I'm so stupid? Why do I always allow people to walk over me? The only answer to unhealthy questions is, I'm useless. I won't amount to anything. I don't deserve happiness. In contrast, healthy questions sound like this. How can I come back from this setback stronger and wiser? Five years from now, how will I look back on this and see it as a turning point in my life? And what life lessons has this incident come to teach me? These healthy questions are all about reframing a troublesome situation. 
in learning to be your own best friend, the life skill is to detach yourself from the event and not to be defined by it. But you simply see it as an opportunity to take some good from it, even though you wish it had rather not happened. And this takes me back to Rudyard Kipling's wonderful poem, If. Let me read a few lines. If you can keep your head about you when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about but don't deal in lies or being hated but don't give way to hating and yet don't look too good no, nor talk too wise. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat these two impostors just the same. And the poem goes on, but I'll stop it there. And these, this short version of the poem gets to a fundamental truth about learning to be your own best friend. Namely, have faith in you. Back yourself. Believe in your own inner strength. No matter what the adversity, you will come back stronger and wiser. And you adopt the life motto that you will be better tomorrow than today. And this growth mindset means that you're not defined by your successes or your failures. You look beyond them and you start tempering your ego. So what does tempering your ego really mean? Well, we live in a world where we seek social approval. We want likes, thumbs up and hits on our social media. When we get the approval of others, our ego gets puffed up. We walk around for a day or so, feeling 10 foot tall. The problem with the ego is that it's never satisfied. You need more likes, more approvals, more positive emojis to feel good about yourself. But what if you learn to love yourself and accept yourself? What if you kept your ego in check and rather than external approval, you got by with your own inner approval? You see, there is a world of difference between self-esteem and self-worth. Self-esteem comes from external validation. You get approval, approval from others that like you and accept you. And this provides you with self-esteem. But self-worth runs on a different currency. One where you trust yourself. You like the person you are becoming. You enjoy the inner world you're creating for yourself. Just one final thing on learning to be your own best friend. Learn to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. Let's get back to John's story where he said to me, I'm waiting to get found out as an imposter. Not only had he fallen into the comparison trap, he'd also fallen into the trap of undervaluing what really matters. John has his health, a loving wife, a wonderful home, financial freedom, which means he can focus on work he enjoys, plays to his strengths and energises him. 
An attitude of gratitude is recognizing your glass is already half full, if not brimful. I already am enough and already have enough. Just recognizing this, accepting this, and opening your eyes to this begins to nourish nourish your self-worth. Happiness won't necessarily come from having more or accumulating more. And happiness can come from the simple things you take for, it, for advantage. Ignore or overlook until the day you no longer have them. John loved running. He was fit and healthy. He felt on top of the world after a morning run, a shower and a chance to meditate. But these activities were getting squeezed the more stressed he became with his situation. By cultivating an attitude of gratitude, John would have found it much easier to put his problem, and I've put problem in inverted commas, into context. In fact, John's peers did not think any less of him. They were not aware he had not gone to university. It was only something that played on his mind, and so much so that it began to eat his confidence. So let's summarise and begin to wrap up. As a coach, consultant or facilitator, or anyone who wants to master the art of personal leadership, what have we learned and what can you take away from this podcast? First, accept the challenge of learning to be your own best friend. Why wouldn't you want to create a wonderful headspace You can't control what goes on out there in the world, but you can create a wonderfully nourishing space between your ears. Second, feed the right wolf. Monitor your inner narrative and rewrite outdated scripts. Just as we can write negative scripts based on our past, we don't need to be tied to them. You are editor-in-chief. So rip out and rewrite the scripts that are simply not serving you well. You have this power, so don't give it away. Third, self-limiting beliefs are not permanent. They're built on irrational beliefs and fears. They're like a house built out of paper with foundations of sand. Test the assumptions your beliefs are based on and you begin to realise they're on shaky ground easy to dismantle and to start again. Fourth, in learning to be your own best friend, it's not about positive self-affirmations. It's about silencing the negative scripts and giving yourself the space for new ideas and thoughts to take hold. Fifth, place more importance on self-worth over self-esteem. Self-worth comes from within and self-esteem comes from external validation. Self-worth is available 24-7-365. Self-esteem is fleeting and in craving it, you're giving away your power. You're now dependent on others and once they know that, they can choose to give it or choose to withhold it. Sixth, cultivate an attitude of gratitude. Cherish all the things you are over all the things you are not. 
Your secret to happiness lies within. So make a list of at least 50 things you're grateful for. Your health, your personality, your kindness, your family, your relationships. And continue until you get to at least 50. And tomorrow, see if you can add to the list again. And then again the day after. Finally, when adversity hits, ask yourself healthy questions over unhealthy questions. Reframe a situation from this is bad and negative to this has come into my life to help me teach a valuable life lesson. As Shakespeare said, there is nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so. On that note, I'd like to thank you for listening. Let me know how you get on with your inner journey and my best wishes go with you. And if you'd like to learn more about Psychology in a Box, log on to our website, psychologyinabox.com and check out our leadership products for coaches and consultants.